This week on Squats and Margaritas, it's nutrition coach Katie Spada fueling former athletes on Instagram. It's an account I followed for a while. Recently, she made a post holding up a sign that said, I weighed the most when I ate the least. And I was like, girl, yes. I had to reach out to her. I wanted to have this conversation. You know, being former athletes and losing that identity, like how prevalent is it to fall into depressions and eating disorders? And then we get into every nutrition question you could ever ask. She answers it all. You do not want to miss this. Here is my episode with Katie Spada. Hi. Hello. How are you? I'm so good. It's so nice to meet you. It's so nice to meet you too. Thank you so much. I'm so excited for this conversation tonight. I am so excited for this conversation. And I was excited before I knew that you were a Buckeye, which I figured out today. Oh, wait. Yes. I owe. <laughs> yes. Huge Buckeye over here. Okay. So you are a nutrition coach. I said slash life coach for former <laughs> athletes because just like going through your posts, you spoke to me so much. Um, you were a synchronized swimmer. Yes, I Ohio was State. at Ohio State, at the Ohio State University. At the Ohio State University. <laughs> I had and to. And it didn't see, your career didn't end in college. Did you, were you on the national team? Did I see this? So I was on the national team, but I was on the national team before college. So okay. from 15 <laughs> through 17. Um, and then the U.S. just, it wasn't looking very good. We weren't going to make the 2012 <laughs> games. Um, so I opted for, because I, I graduated high school in 2011. And so I kind of had this choice. Do I pursue the national team or do I go the collegiate route and maybe reevaluate later on? And um, I chose the collegiate route um, and I did not go back to the national team. I just finished out my career at Ohio State. Nice. And were you from that area? Are you from Vegas? I can know you're in Vegas now. Yeah. So, oh gosh, do I admit this on the air? Um, I, I was I was actually born in Detroit. Michigan. I, Katie, <laughs> I just got goosebumps. I was born in Detroit. No way. My dad used to play for the Lions. <laughs> oh my gosh. So but my he, he played college at Ohio State. So then he went back to Columbus and is still there today. And I grew up okay. in Westerville. But I was I too was born in Detroit. Oh my gosh. So my parents went to Michigan State. My dad played baseball at Michigan State. Um, and then Ohio State recruited me and I just, I couldn't say no. I'm so glad you just said that. Um, this is probably not going to be helpful to anybody else. I'm sorry. Um, selfishly. Was Ohio State your first choice? Like, was that the one that was recruiting you the biggest that you decided to go with? So they were recruiting me the biggest, but they were not my first choice. My first oh. choice was actually Stanford. And Ohio State and Stanford are kind of the two big schools in collegiate synchro. Um, and oh. it, it's unfortunate because Stanford's funding was cut. And so now this was their last year as a varsity program. It's really upsetting, actually. Um, but so my dream was Stanford, and it just did not pan out. And I'm actually so glad it didn't. <laughs> it worked um, out. Yes, because Ohio State was where I was meant to be. So I feel like my <laughs> college choice, it didn't work out for me, but it's given me life lessons um, for my daughter and my son. And my thoughts now um, are go where they want you and yes. where they have a place for you and you're in their scheme and they've been recruiting you. I was, I had my letter of intent to go to North Carolina State, like it was done. Okay. And that coach came to all of my tournaments and everything in high school. Yeah. And at the last second, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go check out Dayton, hour and a half from Columbus. My, my parents can come to my games, which ironically I didn't play in. Um, but that's why I chose it, and I didn't play. And mm -hmm. I feel like there was a spot for me at North Carolina State, and the coach had me in mind, and I kind of just jumped on at the last second at Dayton, and the coach was kind of like, great, but we don't really have a place for you. And I didn't play and ended up quitting and losing my identity, and then depression, bulimia, all the things. Yes. So <laughs> you're like, yeah. go where they want you. <laughs> yes. It it I do I will say Ohio State really wanted me and I feel so fortunate that they did and, and it was a great opportunity. And I will add on to that. Um also go where you like if you weren't able to play, like you would still kind of want to be there. Yes. Um, you know, because I think in a place where they want you, if something happens like an injury or whatever, you know, heaven forbid, um, they would fight for you. Okay. And yeah, I, I saw that happen where teams just did not fight for their athletes. And you could tell that they were like, mm -hmm. so yeah, worked out for you. I want to get into what you're doing now. But I have a question first. When you 
retired and you lost that athlete identity. Mm -hmm. Was that a hard time for you? Did you adjust normally? So I always say that my like loss of identity happened delayed. Like it was like two years after I retired because I went right from, so I burned out hard. One of the reasons I didn't continue pursuing like the national level um, was because I, I was burned out. I was done. Um, and so I retired and I thought, oh, I'm, I'm ready to retire. Like, this is going to be great. I'm done. Um, and I went right into my internship and focusing on, you know, working towards becoming a dietitian. And then I went right into studying for my boards and then I went right into finding a job. And so I kind of just plugged in other things until I had the job I wanted. I was in the town I wanted with my family and I was like, okay, now, now what? And that's when the identity really came up and my world crumbled and I felt like I was struggling. And I was like, why am I struggling? Because I'm checking all the boxes, the boxes are checked and yet I'm not satisfied. Um, so it was about two years after I retired when this hit. That is crazy. They say it's like a death. Like my husband played on the biggest level. He played nine years in the NFL, was a pro wow. bowl linebacker. So like his retirement was like a death. Like that was his since middle school, that's all he did was linebacking. (laughs) Yes. He never had an interview for a job or like network. It was just be a linebacker. So I'm not saying it's anything like that. Obviously it's not, but I played soccer since I was four Mm -hmm. and I didn't realize how much I identified with until reading my book, um, like reading it back and listening to like, I would pull out journal entries. We had to do this like journey project in high school. Everything was soccer. Like mm-hmm. I was homecoming queen and prom queen, didn't care. All I talked about was I just want to have a successful college career. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't thinking about it that much then, but like reading back now, like it was everything. So yeah. I went to Dayton and it wasn't, it was my choice. <laughs> like the guy, he was recruiting me and then I was going to NC state. So I kind of went away and then I came back and I was like, Hey, I want my family to be able to see me play. And in high school, I never came off the field. Like I started as a freshman, we won two state championships. I was the captain, wow. like I'm used to playing. And then mm-hmm. when I wasn't, I didn't know what to do with that. Like I, I, and as a college athlete, as much as you pour into that sport and everything that you put into it, yes. it, it didn't seem fair that like I wasn't playing and I quit. And that identity, like when people would be like, where are you going to school? To Dayton for soccer, soccer, soccer. And then it was like, no more. And then I felt like, I, like this is, it, it sounds stupid, but you'll get it. I couldn't go to the athlete building anymore. I had to work out at like the student rec. And yep. it, it was weird. <laughs> like it was, it affected me greatly. And I went into depression and all these eating disorders because we can get into it. Like a division yeah. one strength and conditioning program. And then you're doing 40 minutes on the elliptical. Not really the same thing. So yeah. I gained a lot of weight. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it hit me hard immediately. And I think because I wasn't, I didn't know I was going to be retiring from co- from soccer. I just, I quit and it right. hit me and I was a mess for a decade. Yes. And I'm glad you mentioned the length of time because I, I sometimes have people say, well, I've been out of it for so long. Like, and I'm like, no, no, no. If you don't address these things, they stay with you. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. And that's, did you do swimming like as a kid? Like, I'm sure that was your identity too. Yeah. I mean, not that anymore. And it's like, what are you now? And like, nothing seems to like be as important or mean as much to you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I'm glad you bring that up because I feel like if, if you haven't been in a sport where like the culture is, and I think this is with all sports, but it's like the culture is like your sport is everything. And so it feels like when that goes away, it's like, like you said, it it is like a death. It's this loss of identity. And it's like, well, what is even like, what is purpose anymore? I don't know how to define that. Mm -hmm. Um, And like my, we had a cheer. It was like life, death team. We literally said (laughs) life, death team. (laughs) I look back on that now and I'm like, Oh man. Um, Yeah. But, it is. It's, it's literally everything. And so the athlete building, I totally, I totally understand that. I was just like, on elliptical, like, I couldn't go in there anymore. I wasn't an athlete. It was yeah. weird. And now right. that you work with former athletes, like, what would you say is the mm-hmm. most common complaint or, like, issue that, like, former athletes are facing? I think the is biggest that- thing 
it, it, it is this identity and it's this feeling of worthiness and that our sport is what gave us worthiness. And, you know, not to take it so deep right away, but at the crux of it, we, we, we judge our worth based on how we're performing in our sport and the positive affirmations we're receiving or the ability to achieve goals and things like that. And now that goes away. And so it's like, why I don't have any worth anymore. Um, and one of the things that we, we chat about a lot with my clients is, you know, that they're worthy of, of respecting themselves because it's almost like their sport was the way they were able to respect themselves. And without that, they're like, what's the point? And it, it, I guess you mentioned life coach and I'm like, yeah, I guess that, you know, I'm, I'm a dietitian by trade, but <laughs> I do no. talk a lot about other things too. You're a dietitian that has the background that is that they, the people that you're talking to have been through. And I saw, I, before this goes away, I saw somebody say, my stepson is graduating college and leaving football behind. I'm worried for him because it's truly his identity. Do you have any thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is remembering that like your sport, like you will never stop being an athlete. And I think that's the biggest thing is we always say like, oh, well, I used to be an athlete. You former. carry a former athlete. <laughs> yes, right? Yeah. Um, you carry all of those things with you, all of those incredible characteristics and traits and skills with you into life after sport. And you're now able to apply them to something else. It's retraining and flipping that mindset to saying, well, I was incredible at this. I can be incredible at something else. I think that's where a little bit of fear comes in because it's like, we're so good at our sport, especially if you're at the college level um, or, or beyond that. It's almost like hesitation. Can I be good at anything else? Yeah. And I, I think that's where a lot of athletes, they get stuck. Um, and what's the word I'm trying to, they like um, paralyze. That's the word. They paralyze themselves because they're too afraid to try. You've been great at something. You can be great at something else too. Yeah. And it's funny. Like I was, I read about this in my book. I was 36. I had just had my daughter and I was six months postpartum. So I started going back to um, Orange Theory classes mm -hmm. and the competitive nature was still there. And it was like re-spark that day because they'll have these pop-up like fitness challenges. And it was like, they didn't tell anybody. It had they, my perfectionist personality would have stressed it all week, but they didn't. We showed right. up and it was like timed mile and they were gonna put it up on the board, fastest mile in the gym. And I, I was not gonna be second. Like I was just like, I'm gonna win this. Just yeah. had a baby and like my, athlete came back and full disclosure I peed my pants I was running so fast because I just had a baby but I won <laughs> <laughs> yes. and I got up there and I that was a turning point for me I was just like I just had a baby and I ran a faster mile than anyone in this gym what else can my body do like it's not over and then I started training more like I think women like I'm gonna be 40 this year and I have two kids and That's women so think like now it's about the kids and my, I'm over. I, my former self, my former athlete. And you don't, I think you posted about this recently. You don't think about like where you could go. You have to go there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes, exactly. I mean, you, like you said, like our, our bodies are so incredible. And I think we, we train them to be so good at our sport that we don't realize that they can be so incredible at other things too. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, like you said, you have, you have to step out and you have to try without without trying you don't know and i'm a big advocate for trying new forms of movement like orange theory in classes which the competitive edge is a positive um, <laughs> to to an extent <laughs> to an extent 100 mm percent -hmm. because mm -hmm. mine went to are you a firstborn by chance i am yes so i've been researching a little bit about firstborn perfectionist personalities like i couldn't be second on that board i'd be first mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. everything has to be a certain way and my perfectionism, which in high school would lead me to retake A minus quizzes the next morning, because if you showed up at seven, you could get an A. And mm -hmm. my sister, three younger sisters were like, I got a, a baby, like, why would I wake up at seven? But I was like, I'll get up at seven, get the A. And it sounds great, but it can make a left and turn into an eating disorder, like yes. that kind of perfectionism. So it's, it's good in a sense, but it scares me because my daughter is my firstborn and I don't, it's hereditary. I know now, and I don't want her to be this perfectionist. Like nothing is good enough woman when she grows up. <laughs> that, that is something I will say. I feel like I'm like, okay, the body image, the food, the exercise, like, yes, mastered, accomplished. I feel great in it. Um, 
other parts of my life, the, the business, <laughs> right? Like the business side, I'm working on my master's and you know, yeah. my, I just finished a class and my parents were like, Oh, how'd you do? And I was like, I got an A. And they're like, why do you sound so upset? Damn it. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, well, I thought I was going to get like whatever. And I like got like a mid A instead of a high A. And they're like, I know serious. I have that. <laughs> yeah. And so like you said, it, it can allow us to accomplish so much, but we can also become our biggest barriers at the same time. If we don't recognize where the line is, like where it goes from being productive to to, um, to almost destructive. Dangerous. Yeah. Destructive. Yeah. I don't want to like go too deep. Like you share whatever you're like comfortable sharing, but like as a swimmer, I'm thinking like you compete in a bathing suit. Did you ever fall into any of the eating disorders, body image stuff? Like be I forget oh, yeah. sometimes because I share so much about my eating disorders that it's like not a normal thing to talk about. So whatever you're comfortable with, I'm swimming. I would have been a hot mess. Like I couldn't do it. Yes, I, I'm very open. So I'm happy to answer any questions that Great. you have about it. Um, I share my stories, you know, often as people ask, and specifically in synchronized swimming, or if you watch the Olympics this summer, it will be called artistic swimming. So I do want to make that distinction. They changed it to align with artistic gymnastics and artistic skating, I think some, I don't know what happened, but now it's called artistic <laughs> swimming. Um, is, you know, it's very appearance focused. And even in speed swimming, you're in a bathing suit, but people could really care less what you look like as long as you're fast. Mm -hmm. um, in synchro, everything is focused on how you look. And I create, I just developed these horrific eating patterns and behaviors. I was never officially diagnosed, but I always say I like flew under the radar because I didn't look like I had a problem. Okay. And that's something that I'm a really big advocate for because oftentimes our athletes who are struggling may not quote unquote, look like they have an issue and yet they're doing these behaviors, restricting, binging, purging, whatever it might be. And people don't know because they're not seeing the drastic weight loss or they're not seeing, you know, some of those other classic symptoms. And so starting in on my national team at 15, 16, really my second national team, they basically said like, we have to look like the rest of the world. And if you don't look like the rest of the world, you're not going to swim. And the rest of the world was Russia and China and they were tall and they had thigh gaps and they were very thin and long legs. And that's not, that's not my genetics. And 15, um, like puberty, like that had to be the hardest time. It was. Oh. Yes. Yes. And so, you know, bless my coach's heart. They were only trying to, um, they were only trying to help, but they didn't have the education or the background to know that telling me not to eat carbs was not beneficial. Um, you know, just saying like, oh, just do an extra hour of cardio when we were already training six to eight hours a day on the national team was not beneficial. Um, and so I fell into these patterns and they lasted me all the way through my first, you know, I say two years of retirement. And I was studying to become a dietitian. Like I, I was getting all this knowledge. And so I always say like knowledge does not always does not always result in action. Um, there, there was still such a disconnect. I knew this in my head, but I wasn't able to change it for quite some time. A hundred percent. And back to like what you're saying about people didn't know because like your body maybe didn't reflect it. Bulimia. And I'm speaking for me because I have other people that have said they've been, they were skinny. When I was bulimic, I was heavier than I had ever been in my life. I had thrown off all the hormones in my body. I was like in a bloated, puffy suit of my body. And so yes. I'm sure nobody was thinking I had an eating disorder because I wasn't skinny, but I was per binging and purging every night, but I kept it a secret. Mm -hmm. And to your other point about knowing, I knew it was a problem. I write this in my book too. There was a snowstorm. And it's just like your mind is programmed to binge and purge. And that's what I was doing. And I didn't care if there was a snowstorm. And I was out walking to a convenience store to like get all the things to binge and purge on. And I remember having this moment, like, what are you doing? Like, this is, I knew it, but I couldn't stop. Like, it was yeah. like, and do you think it's like something that you had control over and like, you don't have your sport anymore? And I don't know if that's like a big jump, but like, it was something that I could control now. Mm hmm. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I think you, yes, this, we could go so deep into this, but the, yeah. the control piece, um, especially if your sport ends when you're not expecting it to, um, but even if you are expecting it to 
now your life is complete disarray because you don't have people telling you where to be, when to be, you know, what to basically what to be. So you are trying to control things and whether your struggle happened while you were competing or after, um, the mindset is very similar. It's needing to control. It often has, and I say this lightly, it often has less to do with the food itself and more to do with things beyond the food. The food is just a result of other things that are occurring. Um, and so I, I talk, I get very deep with my clients, you know, I'm like, okay, well, this binge is not probably because of the food. What is behind it? And like, let's talk about that. Um, we need so, to have a session. <laughs> I, uh, well, I just started seeing a therapist about my anxiety and she's basically like, you're hyper vigilant. Like things have to be happening. When, if I'm going for a run, the dishwasher has to be running like other things. Like I'm always about times. And she's like, it's all back to control. And yes. I was like, it's funny that you say that because I struggled with eating disorders and I feel like that was all about control. Mm -hmm. And I'm firstborn. I don't know what else I can equate it to because I had everything. We grew up in a wonderful household, three other sisters, younger. None of them had any of these issues. I was such a perfectionist. None mm -hmm. of them dealt with eating disorders. None of them like trained relentlessly. Like when I was ready to go to college for soccer, I trained every day all year. And like mm -hmm. my sister, all three of my younger sisters played collegiate soccer and had great careers and nobody stressed it like me. <laughs> like, I don't know how, I, I, there, there's no like trauma in my childhood. I had everything I needed. Like I said, I was homecoming queen, prom queen. It didn't matter. Nothing, I only, mm -hmm. for some reason, soccer was my value. And yep. then I quit because I wasn't playing and then what else was there? Like, there's nothing else. Right, right. And I think you bring up such a great point. I just wanted to like put this in there um, because I, I hear this so often. It's like, you know, I don't understand why, like I have a great family, I have a great job, I have a great this, like you almost feel guilty for yeah. having these struggles yeah. and it makes it worse. And so, you know, anybody who is listening and is like thinking like, oh my gosh, I, I relate to that. You know, like you're still deserving of, of, finding someone to support you and encourage you and help you. Um, that was my biggest thing is I was like, why? Like my family's amazing. I w walked into my dream career. You know, I started at an incredible hospital. Why am I still struggling with this? I felt guilty, but you are so deserving of getting that help. A and there doesn't always, there doesn't always have to be like one big catastrophic event um, that could trigger it. I, all I can say is like birth order because the other three <laughs> would not care less. Their my appearance always changed. Like I used to have like this bob haircut. It would be like jet black. Then I'd be like platinum blonde. I was always just, and my other sisters like always had the same hairstyle. Always <laughs> were just like relaxed. <laughs> I was just like on the spectrums of like all in. Like I got my nose pierced on a whim. I like, I just didn't like, I don't know. Like I, I don't know. We, we grew up in the same household and I'm very different from my, siblings who grew up the same way. And I, I think that like, if, if you have a personality that's predisposed to being that way, yes, then it can have like, even if like, if my mom was on a diet or something, maybe it's in effect any of my sisters, but if I have a personality that's predisposed to that, it mm -hmm. affected me. Exactly. And who knows why I was like, have a personality that's predisposed to that. But for some reason, and now like my anxiety, I went to I started seeing this therapist because it is affecting my life. Like if I am late for things, I, I was about to have a panic attack to meet a realtor, someone I'd never met before, but I didn't want to inconvenience her. And I was like, so worried that she was going to be like upset with me. Then mm -hmm. I'm like in a fight with my husband now. And he's like, you just need to relax, but I couldn't. And like yes. my whole, I live that way. in like the state of just not being able to relax and being anxious and I don't want to live that way. <laughs> yes. I, I, I will say I went and saw a therapist for about a year. She was incredible. Um, and same thing. It was almost like she talked about like my, um, zone of tolerance and similar to that, like your zone of tolerance for those things is small. So it's like, Oh, well, I don't want to inconvenience her. So that that stress, instead of like having a zone of tolerance, it's a little bit larger and it doesn't really bother you. It bounces way out. And now it's like, Oh my gosh. And so we worked on expanding my zone of tolerance and the best thing ever. She's, she was incredible. I'm very thankful for her. Um, but yeah. And, and same thing. I'm like, why, why, why am I like struggling with this? And I don't want to live that way. Um, 
but I do think a lot of it, you bring up the firstborn so true and just personality predisposition, you know, there's so much we don't know about like why our personalities are the way they are. But a lot of the times, especially with eating disorders, um, it's not, you know, it, it could be related to trauma, but it could also just be personality genetic predisposition. Yeah. I mean, that's what I've chopped it up to. <laughs> I don't know. How um, prevalent would you say, like just with your clients, do eating disorders, depression, anxiety, those kind of like circumstances come up after sport? Is that something that you hear all the time? Um, am I an anomaly? No, definitely not an anomaly. And there was actually a systematic review, literature review that came out and it talked about these issues in athletes struggling with disordered and eating disorder type behaviors when they retire and how they become exacerbated. And identity was a really big piece of that. And it actually said in the um, study that athletes who continued to identify as an athlete um, had worse relationships with food and body image. And so, hmm. yeah. It's an incredible study. It's by um, Georgie Buckley. She's a dietitian out of Australia. She's working on her PhD focused on um, sport culture for current and former athletes. She's incredible. Um, yes, a little plug for her. She has no idea. Yeah, no, looking at her. But, <laughs> um, and so, yes, this, this, her systematic lit review was published in 2019. And it basically just validated everything that I thought to be true, but questions like, am I the only one? Um, because we don't yes. talk about this very often. And so I was like, okay, no, this is like a real, real thing. And the statistic they came out with, it was kind of a wide range. And I would argue it's higher it was between 42 and 65% of retired athletes struggle with some form of disordered eating. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That makes you feel a little bit better. Yeah. I, I, I feel like I exhausted my athlete questions and if anybody's on here like I didn't play sports but you have a nutritionist like <laughs> you, I followed you and I was always like looking at your post but when you held up the sign that I ended up sharing recently yes I weighed the most when mm -hmm. I ate the least I was like yes and anyone that's on here and that is still thinking calorie restriction is calories in versus calories out if I'm eating less and working out a lot I'm gonna lose weight please speak to that woman who was me for 20 years? Yes. I mean, it in our minds, it logically makes sense. Eat yeah. less, work out more, lose weight, right? But right. we don't realize that we are so much more complicated than just an equation. And that's where we have to give our bodies credit for survival and adaptation. Because what happens is oftentimes we, we can see what happens. Kind of, okay, let me back up. Yeah. What we usually see is you start to drop your calories and you start to see results. Awesome. Yep. Sweet. Yay. We're excited. And yep. then you're like, well, I want to see more results. Flat so you toe. keep dropping. Yeah. And oftentimes we drop our calories past our resting energy expenditure. And this is key. If you're not giving your body enough energy to at least meet minimum requirements for survival, it's going to start to get rid of essential, like non-essential functions. And one of those is fat burning. We are no longer burning fat. We are storing fat as a means to protect you. And so the hormones that are involved, like human metabolism is so complex. And when we just say it's calories in calories out, I'm like, Oh my goodness, you're not giving your body the credit it deserves. Yeah. <laughs> um, and 100%. so I was eating. So the, what prompted that post was I, I, I posted it before and I was like, I need to revisit this because I've had some clients share, like, I don't understand. Like, I feel like I'm doing everything right yes nothing's working it's so frustrating yeah mm -hmm. i'm barely eating i'm doing cardio seven days a week mm -hmm. and i feel like that's what women specifically are taught calories in versus calories out so yeah i would work out you could not pay me to take a day off i would work but it was always cardio because i didn't mm -hmm. want to get bulky which is the next thing i want to talk about yes <laughs> yes the next eye-opening moment but i was like on the elliptical for like an hour and eating salads and I was 20 pounds heavier than I am now when I weight train four times a week and eat all the live long day and I mm -hmm. feel like that's why I wrote my book to the woman who is working out and not eating and frustrated please eat eat more eat often and you don't have to eat crap like you can eat healthy but eat often my body was starving and it took a coach at a gym to point it out. He's like, you're so frustrated. And I was like, yeah, 
so defensive. All I do is eat salads and I do cardio every day and I'm not losing weight. He's like, well, yeah. And I was like, what? <laughs> He's like, you need to eat more. But bulimic anorexic past, I was like, no, that is ridiculous. Exactly. But as soon as I started eating, my metabolism turned back on and no longer thought we're starving. We need to hold on to everything. And it blew my mind. And I said, I have to write this book for any woman that's thinking it's calories in versus calories out. Yes. Your metabolism stops. It's trying to keep you alive. Yes, exactly. And we get this frustration, but it's like your body's doing everything it can to just keep you, keep you alive and breathing. Mm -hmm. And, um, that is part of that defense mechanism. And especially with, with women, with females, our hormones are so complex that we need certain amounts of body fat in order to ha have, you know, regular estrogen and progesterone and all of those things, even testosterone levels to make sure our metabolism is functioning properly. Wow. Yeah. And so when we're, you know, if you do lose the weight and then you lose the fat and then now you're like, okay, wait, but now I'm gaining fat back. What's happening in this frustration? Your hormones need food to function. Wow. Okay. Um, I didn't even think yeah. about it like that. Yeah. Yes. Your body's not working for you and you're frustrated mm -hmm. because you think you're doing the right things. And it brings me to the weightlifting piece. I feel like women are yes. still so scared to bulk up. And so you stick to lower weights because you just want to tone. And that's what, and I am talking to myself because that's what I did for so long. I didn't mm -hmm. have any tone until I started lifting much heavier than I was before. And you're not going to bulk up. <laughs> we talked to the woman that's afraid of that. Yes. Okay. Yes. And then I'm going to, uh, I think Bailey put a comment as well. I'm going to, I'll, I'll comment it. on that Bailey. How, yes. You. How do you get past the barrier to not be scared? I will touch on that too after this. Um, so the woman who is scared to bulk up, you know, the way that you increase lean body mass, like lean tissue and you become bulky is consistently over consuming calories, but also putting in the work of lifting heavy and your muscles will start to bulk. Um, the other thing is oftentimes like women were not designed to be that bulky. Right. And so steroids are yeah. usually what <laughs> cause that. We're not saying they're on steroids, but your body's no. not going to do that naturally. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's a lot more challenging and it's not just like lifting 20 pound dumbbells. That's going to cause you to get bulky. Um, but the reason we do need to strength train, we do need to increase our lean body mass, our muscle mass is because that is what increases our metabolism. And so increasing your lean body mass, increasing, increases your resting energy expenditure, when you're not doing anything, therefore, yes. you can eat more without being frustrated or fearful. I eat so much more, and I don't put on weight, knock on wood. I, your body is, the muscle is burning it, even when you're not working out. EPOC, is that exercise post-oxygen? Yes. Consumption. Uh, uh, yes. Yeah. You, mm -hmm. So when you are lifting, so when you're running, you're burning calories in that moment. Yes. When you lift you're setting yourself up for the next day. Like you're burning and your resting metabolism when you're not doing anything is higher. And now I do have the muscle tone and I can eat all day. I do, I'm hungry again. I forgot what it felt like to be hungry because my body turned off. Yes. <laughs> Lifting and eating more changed everything for me after literally 20 years from 16 to 36 thinking cardio only just because I wanted to sweat. Like, I, I felt like if I did a strength training workout and I left the gym, I was like, I'm not even sweating. Like, I, I thought sweat and cardio was like the burn. But mm -hmm. it's not. <laughs> yes, yes. It Like, what counts as a workout? We almost yes. have to redefine that. Um, yes. Yeah, and, and you bring up a great point, too. That's often why we're more hungry on rest days because your muscles are recovering. They're still burning more. And so it's okay to eat even if you're not doing a workout. Yeah. Your muscles need it. Yeah, I never even thought about it that way. Yeah. I'm just hungry all the time now, and I eat so much more. And I had, um, I had a trainer on a, a couple weeks ago, and I never thought about it like this. She was like, so say you're eating 900 calories a day, the lowest amount you could ever eat and your body's just trying to stay alive. So it's not burning anything. Yeah. You start eating more and more and you get up to say 1800 calories a day, your body starts burning again. And uh -huh. your new um, maintenance is 1800 calories a day. Your, your body knows to stay there. She, she's like, now, if you want to lose weight, you drop down to 1600 calories. Now you're losing weight at 1600 calories when you couldn't lose weight at 900. And I was just like, Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. yes. 
Exactly. She's, she's spot on. And that like brings me right into Bailey's question, which was about like, how do you get over the fear of increasing your calories? Well, first of all, it has to be like systematic. You don't just need to go from like zero to a hundred. Um, and working with someone who, who can guide you through that is helpful. Um, but also recognizing for me, the biggest thing that helped me get over that, cause I was a, my fitness pal tracker for like years. <laughs> Your macros are hit. You are done with sugar by 11 AM. And I was like, Whoa. Yep. Yep. I mean, like I was tracking like to, to just be how, how extreme it was for me. Like I was tracking like gum that I would chew and wow. like, right. Again, yeah. but but again, no one no one knew. I didn't look like I had a problem. Right. Um, I gotcha. And so what what you want to do is you want to make sure that you know you're systematically going up. But for me, once I truly understood the physiology behind it, and if anyone is like data driven or like they need to know like why, mm-hmm. when I understood the physiology of it, I became less scared. And so I was like, okay, I can understand human metabolism now. And I recognize that like, I actually need fuel. I need energy in order to burn energy in order for my body to function. And it's not going to let go of this weight until I, until I give it energy. And, you know, in my, in my practice, I don't talk about weight very often, but I do talk about set point weight. And oftentimes women are not at their set point weight because their metabolism is not working for them. And so that is a big piece of figuring back out, increasing your calories again, so you can eat a normal amount and be at your set point weight, which means enjoying how you feel. That's balance. That's Squaza Margaritas. Like, yes. I didn't see the question come in, but I am at my set point weight now, enjoying mm-hmm. life. And when I was obsessed with being thin and working out every day i hated my life and i was 20 pounds heavier yes (laughs) that's where i was like i need to write this book i don't feel like women are told that like that you need to eat calories i mean eat carbs to burn carbs carbs are energy not the enemy which you posted the other day like (laughs) everyone thinks cut your carbs when you start to think of your body like fueling your body food is fuel and intuitive eating if you are hungry eat like i'm Mm -hmm. so like i didn't i would come home when i was anorexic i would come home from high school and be so hungry and i would make myself take a nap because i'd be like that's like an hour that i'm not gonna be eating so my body was just like nothing was coming in and now it's like if you're hungry eat and then check in again are you satisfied then stop eating don't just finish well i would i don't like to waste anything and hold other podcasts but like i'll finish everything because it was there but it's just intuitive listen to your body it will tell you what it needs if you're hungry eat if you're satisfied stop eating and it sounds super simple but you have to be like mindful yes my mindful is such a great term for that and you, you know like you said i think we almost fear hunger like hunger has become such a like demonized thing in our society like uh-huh. heaven forbid you're hungry but hunger is a primal inst like it is a signal saying you need something but um, i think you don't trust yourself if you're hungry it's like oh god i'm gonna go crazy <laughs> exactly <laughs> gonna be Ex- exactly right and so again it's, it's systematic it's not just and i think this is where social media sometimes make may make it seem like you just like open the floodgates and it's like now bring in all the cookies and the cake and the pizza and all of that and yes. like do we want to bring those foods back in yes but we can do it in a systematic way so you don't feel like you slingshot to the other side that brings me to something. I was on a podcast recently and they're like, well, how do you handle uh, cravings? And I was like, I, I eat what I'm craving. And they're like, what? because if I don't, <laughs> if I want a cookie, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I'm not gonna eat the cookie and I don't eat it that day. And the next day I'm like, nope, not eating cookies. On the third day, probably gonna eat a box of cookies because I deprived myself. If you make it a normal part of your life, and there's nothing yes. off limits and you have a cookie Every day, like one cookie, I'm not saying have a cookie after every meal, but live with balance, have what you want. But I always say like, have what you need to have. If you need a cookie, have a cookie. Mm-hmm. Don't just have candy because it's Halloween. If you want a piece of candy, have a piece of candy. Have yes. what you want. And then I live a pretty healthy like life. And I, I do have what I want because I don't want to binge. And I do, I don't know if you're gonna judge this, it's fine. Have no judgment daily because I can have a cocktail. And if I, before 
I would be like, well, oh my God, wine, like so much sugar, margaritas, so much sugar. Um, I'm not, I can't have cocktails, like I'll, I'll gain weight. So I wouldn't for a while. And then yep. you go to a wedding or you go to a birthday party and it's like, I had a glass of wine, I blew it. Might as well have a bottle of wine and start over on Monday and you give yourself permission to binge. Mm -hmm. But if you make it a part of your lifestyle, it's not as scary off limits it doesn't have that power over you anymore that's Ex how i feel yes exactly you take the power back from food and i always you know i blow my clients minds when i say like i crave sweets way less now than i did when i was you know restricting them i crave yeah. things like fruits and veggies and i'm like you will you will find a time where you're like i just really want like roasted broccoli and you're just like what um but like you mentioned with Halloween and the weddings, like those things are special because they are the events. They're no longer special because of the food. And I think that makes a huge difference because you can have the wine whenever you want. You can have the candy whenever you want. And so you no longer have to just wait for those times. And now it's not like walking. I remember walking away. I'm Italian. And so I would walk away from Christmas dinner. We would have the seven fishes dinner and all of the big foods and I would walk away so uncomfortable. I was like, I feel like I'm gonna like, like I, I feel know. like I'm gonna get sick, not be like, because I yeah. ate so much. Yep. And I don't do that anymore. Like I almost said no to pie on Thanksgiving and I waited like a couple hours and then I was like, yeah, pie sounds good now. If you want it, you have it. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's not off limits, but you're intuitive. Like you're checking in. If you're not yes. hungry, it's just, and it, I, it, we're, I feel like we're making, I'm scared that we're making it so, it sounds so, like just, it's right. like a journey. It's a it is. <laughs> it is. And it's very nuanced. And so I think like, that's the biggest thing is you don't just go from, you know, struggling, if anyone is struggling to like, yeah, just eat intuitively. It's not that right. simple. I right. always say my journey was a solid 18 to 24 months. Um, and that's from the emotional side of things, the mindset side of things, and the physical side of things. And one of my goals is to help former athletes get there faster than I did. Yeah. Um, but it is a journey, and you do have to walk through a lot of a lot of. I say you kind of got to like walk through the suck until you can like get to the enjoyable part. You do, and it's the, it's such a trust thing. Like again, like him telling that trainer changed everything for me, telling yeah. me to eat more, and I'm like, oh no like i was like i can't eat more like then i'm just gonna binge and i'm gonna throw up like i had to finally be like what you're doing is not working so it was just like what else do i have to lose and i did it in a healthy way i was eating super healthy but yeah. all the time and then i was like oh i'm losing weight i'm, I'm hungry again and mm -hmm. i just and i did get there gradually but like i got there gradually after like i'm telling 20 years of just battling it and yeah the the scale the women that is worried about that number like i said my weight on instagram the other day and i was like i have come a really long way like i was so concerned with that number and i saw you posted something the other day about like the blind weighing and i freaking love it we share yes. that oh yeah so i went to the doctors and um i remember when going to the doctors used to be an ordeal for me i would make it early in the morning i wouldn't drink anything no coffee no, no food i would Water have the lightest yeah you have to i pee. would make you got to yes. pee right before <laughs> you do right before i would wear the lightest clothes possible take, take off my shoes off. put the purse down all the things and then get on the scale and that number would make or break me my family used to be so scared on days that I would go to the doctors because they're like, if that's not a number that was good to her, like it's game over. I know. And you can do blind weighings. You can also decline being weighed um, depending on your circumstance. So there are some medical conditions like pregnancy. heart failure, renal disease, pregnancy um, that you do need to be weighed. Um, but if it's not imperative to your current medical state, you can also decline or get weighed backwards. But we put so much weight into that number, which it's a, it's a fluctuating number and it should fluctuate. That means your body is doing what it's supposed to do. Um, and so, yeah. And I, I always say like, I had a number in my head that I'm like, I will be happy when I reach this. And I wasn't, I reached it for like two weeks and I wasn't happy. And the weight that my body settled at feels so much better and I'm so much happier. And so I just don't want anybody getting hung up on a number to dictate your life. It would, and it would, I write that too. Like what I weighed, would I have a shitty day or I'd have an amazing day? And it could be, if I gained, 
like a point one, if I gained anything, it was like, I would be frustrated the rest of the day. And had I not stepped on that scale, I would have, my day would have been fine. But honestly, yeah. if I lost a couple ounces, like I was just down a little bit, I had a great day. Like that yeah. number meant so much to me. And then it, it is a mind, like when you, when you have babies and like, I'm 5'10", like I was coming up on like 200 pounds. And I was like, okay. <laughs> like, and I, I don't know if like how long my daughter's five, like five, I guess five years ago, I still was still feeling like I should have been doing the blind ways, but I wanted to see it. And I was just mm -hmm. like, Oh my God, my doctor would be like, it's fine. Like gaining 30 pounds is very healthy for pregnancy. But I was like, yes, with my past, this is very scary. And now it's like, I don't want to have another, I'm not going to have another baby. <laughs> but <laughs> if I were, I just have finally gotten to a place. I don't check it anymore. And like you said, when you get your set weight, you just kind of know where you're at and you yeah. need to see a number and you're just, and it should be more about what's funny is I weigh more and I have a smaller like jean size mm -hmm. and my body is smaller, but I put so much muscle on it that it weighs a lot. And before seeing the number that I weigh now, I would have never left the house. Yeah. Like, cause it's the number. Exactly. Exactly. We, we build up this number in our head and this number starts to dictate our worth and kind of going back to being an athlete, like your numbers, your stats dictate your worth. And yes. same thing here. It's almost like your weight is your stat and no one knows how much you weigh. And yet, except you, except you. no yes. one knows the size of your pants either. Like I have right. pants that are four different sizes because it feels good on my body. But yet in the past, going up a size would have shattered me. Totally. And no one knew you went up a size, but you know, yeah. you knew that. Exactly. And if you just like had a smile on your face, like no one would think anything differently, but it would dictate my whole day. And it just, yep. it helps me when someone else like just admits the same thing. Cause it's like, I don't know. Like, I just feel like Instagram, everybody acts like they have everything together. Like we need this. Like yes. everybody has to be going through the same things. And it's like, if you find a secret to, get to a place of like wellness and balance. Like we need to talk about this and you need to share where you came from. So somebody that's still there is like, this can happen for me. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. I, 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 I want to talk to you about, um, you, you talked earlier, you're finishing your master's. Yes. You full time at a hospital. You teach yep. bar and yeah. you run an online nutrition business. <laughs> so Boston ah. Margaritas is balance. You're obviously balancing all the things and I need to know how you do that. Like what your secret is there. So my secret are called mom and dad. Um, I will say my <laughs> parents are, they're my biggest support system. I just bought a house too. And nice. so, yes. Let's add that home, to the list. <laughs> I know um, that was not in the plans, but I kind of fell into it and it was, it's perfect, but um, thank you. Um, but I have an incredible support system. And okay. so like when I am feeling really like stretched to, to the wits ends, like my family is there to support me and encourage me. But I also have been working on, I will not say I'm good at it yet, but I've been working on boundaries. And so like only taking client calls on, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or like Thursdays for discovery calls. And like Friday, I don't do anything related to my business. And when it comes to my master's, Monday is dedicated master's day. And then like Saturday, Sunday, I have to sleep in. I will not set an alarm. That's like my boundary to myself. And I won't say it's easy to stick to them. It's really hard, but those have been really helpful in balancing everything. Mm. So I don't like burn myself out again because that's what I, happened in sport i have such a problem with boundaries like i want to be that way i don't only want to work on like the weekdays and then when my kids are home from school on the weekends i'm not going to do anything but it's like when something is yours like your brand it's <laughs> very hard for me <laughs> to let go even to delegate like even if i got like an assistant or somebody that did my social media i feel like i would just be like checking on it and it's very hard for me to be present and vice versa like with work, I'll be like, oh my God, I, my daughter was trying to tell me something today or she like wanted me to lay down with her right now and I'm doing this and I can't be present or put boundaries. Like I'm talking to my therapist about that. <laughs> like I have a problem with just not being present and focusing on the other things I need to do. Mm -hmm. I'm not yes. there yet. There is a song by Jeremy Camp and it's called Keep Me in the Moment. And it was, yes, I heard it come on the radio and I was listening to the song or to the words of the song. And I was like, my gosh, yes, this is me. Like I'm, I'm 28 and I'm 
feeling like my life is already like running away from me. And I'm like, whoa, 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 I don't, I want to be able to enjoy, you know, what I have in front of me. And so boundaries. And I will say I did hire a business coach to help me set things up. And she was incredible at helping me establish those boundaries in my business so that I can grow a business to be long-term. And she reminds me all the time, like, I pulled up my calendar link for her one day and she was like, you have every day open. And I was like, yeah, because I work in a hospital and like my time is like, I don't have that much time to spend on my business. And she's like, no, (laughs) even if you do that, we're closing this day and this day and this day, you only have these days. And I was like, oh yeah. Cause you're thinking like any time I have to like grow the business, like give it to me. (laughs) Exactly. And she's like, that will not be sustainable. And she equated it to your nutrition where it's like, if you try and go from like zero to a hundred and you're like burning the oil at all ends, it's not going to be sustainable. Your body's going to shut down. That's where I'm at. (laughs) <laughs> that is why I decided to get a therapist because she's like you're going she said my um maintenance is like 150 miles an hour I I put this on my story last night when I was running my kids bath I had my airpod in I was editing a podcast I was folding laundry while the water was running because I was like while the water's running I can fold this laundry Do things- mm-hmm. while dinner was in the oven and I wouldn't give my kids bath until dinner was in the oven because I knew I had 30 minutes that four things were happening at once and mm-hmm. I thrive on it. Like, yeah, look at all the things I'm achieving. And she's like, you are going to just crash. Like you yes. can't live like that. <laughs> you have no. to relax. And I want to, but yeah. it's just, I haven't. It feels I, uncomfortable. <laughs> Katie, thank you so much. I did not mean to take an hour of your time, but okay. I really feel like we just jumped on here. So. We- Yes, this was an incredible conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Squats and Margaritas podcast. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And I'll see you next week for a brand new episode of Squats and Margaritas. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.